Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Taxes are due, and I'm through with you. 
I've been lonely a long time And I'm hungry now And I was hungry then I've got to know them I got to notice just the other day They said that I'm underwater I'm underwater now They said that I'm underwater Oh, I'm underwater now But you know what? What don't kill me has to make me hard Let us pray Holy God, we gather in gratitude and joy for the love and life of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that same gratitude and joy, loving Creator, we come as your children led by your Spirit to lift up your holy name with hearts full of praise. We exalt you, O holy, loving God. Amen. Let us stand and sing together, please.
prayer of admission can be found inside of your program. Before we collectively say the prayer of admission, I want to remind us all that we have moments, moments when we are not at our best, moments when we fall short, moments when we make a mistake. I can't believe I thought that, I said that, and I did that, moments when sin surfaces. Sometimes those moments aren't a simple slip, fall, or trip. Sometimes they're a full-out wreck. We struggle to look at ourselves in the mirror. We struggle looking at those we harm. We get down because we thought we had grown. We don't know what to do in those moments. But whatever we decide to do as believers, we also have this moment, a moment of admission. Admission is freeing. It's humbling. It's restorative. It reminds us of the grace of God, the love of Jesus. So together, let us pray the prayer of admission, followed by a moment of silence. God, we fall short. We don't do your will. You call us to do better. Forgive us and give us strength to follow you more closely. Family, there is good news. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Rest assured, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. I now invite the families of those who received the sacrament of baptism to come forward. While they're coming forward, I've heard from a few tiny theologians that it has been hard to see the baptism. So this is your invitation. If you are younger with eyes, you can come forward. You can stand on your chair. You have my permission to make sure you get to see this visible sign of grace. You ready? This morning, Gardner and Lucas present their sons, Brooks and Jasper, and Lily and Sydney present themselves to receive the sacrament of baptism. Today, we boldly proclaim that Jasper, Brooks, Lily, and Sydney are recipients of the covenant of grace. In baptism, God claims them as God's own welcoming them into this family of faith and a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. We are encouraged in baptism because in no stage of life are we ever truly separated from our Lord Jesus Christ, nor are we separated from the bonds we have with each other through him. Lily, Sydney, Brooks, and Jasper, 
May you always remember that you are never alone. Your parents, your church family, and Jesus Christ are always with you. Hear these words of our Lord Jesus Christ as he delivered to his disciples after his resurrection. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By water and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are made members of the church, the body of Christ, and we are joined in Christ's ministry of love and peace and justice. Let us remember with joy our own baptism as we celebrate this sacrament today. Still me. (laughs) Gardner, Lucas, having heard these words of scripture, I ask you the following questions. Do you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and to teach that faith to your children? Do you? Having heard these words, I ask you the following questions. Do you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith to embody hearts of service and love? As members of the congregation, as the Church of Jesus Christ, do you promise to guide, support, and nurture Lily, Sydney, Jasper, and Brooks through words and actions with love and prayer? Will you encourage them to know and follow Christ and to empower them to be a faithful member of the church? If so, say we do. We do. Let us pray. God, we know that this life is not always easy. To follow your son, to follow Christ, is to die alongside him. But to follow Christ is also to be resurrected with him. When the world seems hard to Lily, Jasper, Sidney, and Brooks, when the church, when their parents, their friends, and family fail them, we give thanks that you, O God, do not. We give thanks that your presence will not leave them, nor will it leave us. We thank you for this water of baptism. Let it seal your children and welcome them into your kingdom of undeserved love, radical grace, and abundant life. Amen. Amen. Lily, I invite you to come forward. Lily and Reese, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lily, may you come to know everything Christ has commanded you, and know that he is with you to the very end. Amen. Sydney. (laughs) Sydney, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May you come to know everything that Christ has commanded you and know that he is with you to the end of the age. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for Lily and for Sydney for their friendship, for the claim that you have on them. Walk with them, God, in the ups and the downs of adolescence, high school, of whatever the future may hold. Guide them, God, nurture them, love them, help them to remember that they are beautifully made in your image, called to shed their uniquely beautiful light onto a world that needs it. Amen. Amen.
What is the Christian name of this child? Matthew Brooks. You ready? <laughs> Matthew Brooks, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May you come to know everything Christ has commanded you and may you know that Christ loves you and that he's with you to the very end. Amen. What is the Christian name of this child? Jasper Thomas. Hi, Jasper. Do you see everybody? Jasper Thomas, child of the covenant, I baptize you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May you come to know everything Christ has commanded you, and know that he loves you that he's with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray. Lord, cover Brooks and Jasper with your grace. When the world lets them down, remind them that you, their savior, never does. Give them courage to make their own unique gifts known to the world, to mend up the broken places. Teach grown-ups to follow these beacons of light into the world, and may we learn about you, Jesus, through each of them. Amen. Friends, this is the greatest news. Jasper and Brooks, Lily and Sydney have been welcomed into the one holy Catholic church through baptism. God has made them members of the household of God to share with us in the priesthood of all believers I encourage you after this and the holy interruption to greet and welcome the newly baptized as children of God and our newest siblings in Christ. Alleluia. Amen. As we come on back, I encourage you to look in your program. We've got a lot of stuff going on, including Easter next Sunday, two, two services, 9 and 1030. Um, come to one. You can come to both if you really want. We'd love to see you there. Invite a friend. It's going to be a great Celebration of the Resurrected Christ. We also have Good Friday service this Friday, a concert here on Wednesday. There's a lot going on. Uh, we'd love to see you there. So our reading today is a bit of a challenge, and you might find the sermon equally challenging. So here now a word from Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The word of God to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
You know how over time families develop their own proverbs? Like the catchphrases, the maxims, the words to live by that someone started maybe decades ago and get passed down from generation to generation, parent to child. I think of my grandfather, Charlie, who grew up poor, he grew up on a farm, and he grew up during the Great Depression. And because of his heritage, his family background, he was incredibly sensitive to food waste. We all knew this. Anytime we ate food, the rule would be, take what you want, eat what you get. Plates would always be clean after a meal. Or I think about my dad. He was a coach on the basketball court, an advisor in our youth group, a leader in my Boy Scout troop, and a fan on the sidelines watching me play high school lacrosse. And whatever I was doing, there would always be times when I wanted to quit. And he'd always be an encourager. I'd want to give up because things got too difficult. I'd want to quit scouts when earning first class felt like too much work. I'd want to quit basketball when I fouled out in the first quarter. I'd want to quit lacrosse when the coach and I did not see eye to eye. The proverb my dad repeated to me was, quitters never win, winners never quit. And it's interesting what sticks with us from our past, the things that shape us from our families and our heritage. And Jesus is talking about families in this scripture, and he's doing it in some of the most aggressive, stark language in the entire gospel. You've got to hate your family, you've got to hate yourself, or you cannot be my disciple. Sheesh. This is the guy who tells us to love, right? Who follows the Torah, which commands us to honor our parents, who one minute says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and then tells us, you've got to carry the cross or you cannot be my disciple. And this word for disciple can become convoluted, churchy language with a lot of baggage, inaccessible and distant. But the Greek, the, the word is methetes. And the root means the mental effort needed to think things through. The mental effort needed to think things through. It's where we get the word math. And it helps me to think of it less as a church exclusive word like disciple and more of a learner, a student. Someone who's figuring things out as they come, taking life one step at a time, trying and often failing to follow Jesus. So it appears that Jesus is looking at his students, his crowds of students who just aren't getting it. They haven't understood most of anything that he has done. And in a bit of frustration, he drops the niceties. It's like he transitions from a Southern gentleman on Divine Street to an old man from Boston. He tells it like it is. He uses frustrated, exaggerated language to tell the crowd what it's like to truly be his student, to truly learn his ways. He's asking people to prioritize new, uncomfortable experiences with him over the old, comfortable experiences with our own people. And this section of scripture has been titled, The Cost of Discipleship. But it could be just as easily called the cost of learning to follow Jesus. And a huge part of this learning process is the leaving behind what we thought we knew, the limitations that once held us back to be open to the challenge of following Jesus 
wherever that might lead us. I mean, think about how Jesus called his first disciples. He told them, drop your nets and follow me. Jesus didn't say, drop your nets, but don't worry. All we're going to do is fish. I'm going to make you the best fisherman ever. You won't believe the fish we're going to catch. No, he says, leave everything, follow me. We're going to go fish for people. And he takes them to the places they've never been. He takes them to the margins, to the broken, to the sick, to the houses of sinners, to the wells at Samaria, to the dinner table of tax collectors, to the feet of lepers, and eventually to the cross. And to be clear, I don't think Jesus wants us to leave behind our families at the drop of a hat. That would be a bold statement on any day, but especially when a good portion of my own family is here with worship, in worship with us. <laughs> Instead, I think Jesus wants us to understand that to be a disciple, to follow him, to learn from him, means that at some point we will grow beyond the boundaries that have given us a sense of safety that we will grow out of the containers that have held us and venture into the great unknown. I read a devotional recently by Richard Rohr about how we as humans use these metaphorical bowls or vessels with limits to try and understand the great big mystery of God. I mean, imagine if the entity of God were the ocean and all that's in it, the water, the depths, all the animals and plants, infinitely complex and vast. And to try and understand it or even study it, we would need to contain part of it, hold it in a bucket. Otherwise, the water would just run everywhere. And Rohr speaks of the practical necessity of these vessels, the limits that we put, but emphasizes that in our walks of faith, they must grow, they must change. I mean, think about the six-year-old child at Myrtle Beach. She grabs her pail, she walks down to the water, and she fills it with water and sand from the ocean. And with curiosity, she looks at the container and sees the hermit crabs and the minnows and studies them. But eventually, that child might grow into a marine biologist who, in a larger quest to study schools of fish or sharks or even whales, doesn't need a bucket, but an aquarium with tanks the size of central energy itself. Jesus is telling us that a whale won't fit in the child's bucket. Our vessels, the limitations we put on God and put on ourselves must grow. That is the call to discipleship, growth. And I think about that initial proverb that my granddad taught me. Get what you want, eat what you get. It was very helpful for a young Lucas who struggled to comprehend what hunger was to hear it from grandparents who, as children, came very close to knowing what hunger was. It helped me to appreciate the privilege and the luxury of food. But many years later, when I sat next to a friend who has struggled for her entire life with eating disorders, body dysmorphia, and a downright toxic relationship to food, maybe telling her to eat every scrap off her plate wasn't the bit of wisdom that she needed. Maybe in empathy, I could grow beyond that singular maxim. Or I think about how crucial my dad's advice has been and has helped me as a child into an adult. 
how it helped push me to attain the rank of Eagle Scout, how it helped me work hard enough to become an all-state level lacrosse player, how it helped propel me forward over and over again. But when I'm sitting with a man in his 50s, an exhausted dad who hates his job, he feels pressure to work more, more hours than he should, He feels the pressure to achieve, to sell, to earn constantly. He doesn't sleep more than an hour a night. And when I see him, he is cracking. His mental and physical health is held together by scotch tape and he's ready to crumble. I look at him and I think maybe winners need to know when to take a Sabbath, how to rest. Heck, God rested on the seventh day, then I'd say he deserves some time where his value isn't measured by production. Maybe in care, I could grow beyond an absolute involving winning and quitting. The maxims of our heritage will fail at some point. The bowls of our past won't be able to hold all the truth, all the messiness, the nuance, the wisdom, and the love required of following Jesus now. And it doesn't mean we need to hate on the past. We can see what good, what real good might have come from your family of origin, from those lessons, from your heritage, those lessons you learned, and be grateful for that. But we must also realize that in the call of Christ is greater. God is doing a new thing, and Jesus asks us to join in. Every time we baptize a child at downtown church, we ask them to join in. We're asking them to join into this messy ministry of God. And we pray these words. We say when their church, when their family, when their pastor and their parents fail them, we give thanks that you, God, you do not. My hope is that Jasper and Brooks realize that at some point my own advice, my own teaching, my own example will fail them. Because it will. When they see me curse at someone who cuts me off on I-26, I want them to choose Christ over me. (laughs) When they see me intentionally walk away from the beggar at the food lion, I want them to choose Christ over me. And then when they see me shout for vengeance, shout for death and painful retribution like those in the crowd at Calvary, I want them to choose Christ over me. In those moments, and in so many more, I hope and pray that the teaching that my own children and all children fall back on is the only verse that I've ever asked Brooks to memorize. Christ's self-proclaimed greatest commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. And I ask and I hope and I want them to pick up their own crosses, which maybe means leaving us behind to do the holy and difficult work that we have failed to do. And the irony is that we're reading this verse on Palm Sunday, knowing full and well that the crowds who shout for Jesus to save us, those who wave palm branches in the air will not pick up their own cross. They won't grow their bucket. They won't change. They'll fall back on old habits, habits of violence, of fear. A few days after Palm Sunday, we get Good Friday. The crowds who praise Jesus will choose apathy to Roman instruments of torture. 
they will choose to shout, crucify him, crucify him, rather than stand up and question why a society should ever sentence anyone to death. They will fail Jesus. They will kill Jesus. And Jesus, he forgives them. Jesus forgives us. But before he forgives them, he calls them to be a disciple. He calls them to grow. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the call to discipleship is a gift of grace. And that call is inseparable from grace. The call to discipleship is a gift of grace and that call is inseparable from grace. In our call, Jesus forgives us, but he also expects much from us. He expects us to learn, to listen. He challenges us to be a disciple, to grow, to grow beyond where we have been and to grow beyond where we are now. May we try. Thanks be to God. Amen. Love the songs I hated when I was young Because they take me back where I come from When every broken heart seemed like the end When everyone was someone different then But I can't be alone in a crowded room My thoughts they run like water down a flue there are days when I let the darkness arise I don't always choose the sunny side Sometimes I pretend we never met Suffered for the peace inside my mind. And I believe that all souls are born kind. While some things work out different when they're in your head. But I'm not sorry for the things I say. Sometimes I let my mouth just run away. And I believe that all souls are born kind. And all it's lost comes back in time Sometimes I pretend We never met All the maps are pretty
Please pray with me. God, we pray for your people who are students learning how to follow you. We pray for our leaders, for each one of us who is a leader by the choices that we make. We pray for your people, O oh Lord, and the pain we carry. And we need to pray, O oh Lord, because we are not innocent, but complicit in systems of violence. Just like those who cried out on Palm Sunday, save us, we too are responsible for public safety and we do not keep each other safe. We pray for your children in Nashville this morning. We pray for the classmates, students, for teachers and school administrators and janitors, for the families of those who were shot and killed this week, Lord. Hold those who are tender close. We pray for your people, O oh Lord, for us students as we look to you to grow away from our fear, away from violence, away from apathy, to follow you. God, we know this world is not safe and while we cling to everything that promises us safety, we know the truth made visible to us in baptism. It is only through you that we find any shield, any peace, any rest. So bend our knees, O oh Lord, to follow you outside of comfort to the places you are calling us to grow and hear us as we pray the prayer you taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand now and to use the words of the Apostle Creed, Apostles' Creed. This is not a litmus test of theological beliefs to understand whether or not you belong. That's not what we're doing. This is a creed, an ancient creed that is passed down through the generations. And it is good for us to question and to go deeper. That is where our faith deepens together. So beloved community, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
tasked with growing, growing beyond where we have been, growing beyond where we are. And as we try to do that, God's grace, God's forgiveness goes with us to give to one another, to love one another, and to do the messy ministry that Christ has called us to do. So as you go from this place, may the peace of God, the love of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Go in peace. Amen. If you feel compelled to support the church financially, you can give a secure gift online at downtownchurch.me forward slash give.